Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. Today I'm talking to Nancy McDermott. She is a good friend and the author of the book, The Problem with Parenting. Hey, Nancy. Hey, Julie. How how are you? I'm doing great, and I'm so glad to have you on. And actually, this is your second appearance. So for those who might not have caught the, one of the first episodes, one of the first episodes of the Bespoke Parenting Hour, Nancy was one of my first guests. She appeared in August 2020. What is significant about August 2020? <laughs> oh, that's right. Schools didn't open. Uh, so Nancy came on, she was talking about her new book, but we were, of course, also able to talk about sort of what was going on in the country, which at that time, you know, Nancy's a mom, she had school age, she has school age kids, I was, you know, dealing with my school age kids, and it was all a big question mark. And so we were kind of grappling with that issue. But I thought it would be interesting to bring Nancy back. We are now 2023. It's been three years since the closure of school since the sort of, you sort of, when COVID was, was really, you know, raging in the country and different variations. So it didn't ever seem to end because we would always have a new variant that would come out. Um, and again, it's been three years. So I thought it would be interesting to check back in with her um, and, you know, and kind of go over some of the things that we've seen since then and what's happening in schools today. And in addition to learning loss, um, we've seen the deployment of some of these really questionable theories into school, into the school curriculum, whether that's, sorry about the dog. I know you know what I'm dealing with, Nancy. Um, Whether that's critical race theory or sort of the gender theory in schools, we've seen theories um, and we've also seen statements from schools that are sort of determined to provide this gender affirming care, keeping secrets from parents, that kind of stuff. It's schools are fraught today. It is just a fraught uh, sort of atmosphere. But I think a lot of those things from the deployment of some of these, these very radical theories to again, pornography in the schools, it all points to one thing. And that is sort of this loss of childhood, um, loss of innocence, or trying to introduce really mature concepts to kids at a very young age. So Nancy, I know that was quite a long intro there, but I wanted to talk to you about the, the whole point of childhood, what it is, what it, what it was, what it used to be, um, when that whole concept came about, um, and, and sort of get your thoughts on that. And, you know, again, your book was sort of examining parenthood. And when, you know, I thought it was fascinating because I love talking to you about like, how, you know, parenting as we know it today really sort of developed in the 1970s. So I thought we could take a a similar look at when childhood sort of emerged as a concept and something that people actually have to sort of go through. So anyway, why don't you start, start off here telling me what is childhood? Right. Well, um, childhood as we understand it, uh, really got going in the uh, late, uh, 16th century with the development of the bourgeois family. Um, and <clears throat> people, and that um, might, might sound a little bit crazy because, of course, there have always been children. Um, but what was different from, um, from what existed before that time was that before that time, childhood was, um, it was basically a time of maturing, um, and there wasn't a strong understanding of the differences between children and adults. They were just kind of considered less competent adults. And, um, and the whole sort of trajectory of maturation was to become a replacement for the last generation. Um, so there wasn't a lot of innovation. There wasn't a lot of education. And all of that begins to change in the late um, 16th century because you have this um, you have this very ambitious new class uh, in Europe, um, which uh, would later become known as the bourgeoisie. Um, and they, un- unlike the aristocracy or the other classes before them, they didn't just have to raise replacements. 
they had to raise um, they had to raise up um, children who could better themselves um, and who could you know take the family forward, take themselves forward, and also take society forward. And so what happened was that childhood became more than just a phase of maturation. It became a phase of, uh, of socialization, of, of, of really um, uh, uh, helping kids to uh, develop the social nous that they would need to get on, but also it became a period of education. Um, and, and the education was important because there was a lot more technical knowledge that was re- that was required it required a longer period of time for children to really be able to not just mature but to stand on the shoulders of the um generation that came before them because education is this kind of um a generational transfer of knowledge that allows generations to um uh, to progress over time and to do bigger and better things. Um, so that, that, that's basically how uh, childhood came about. And eventually, oh, sorry. Well, I, no, I want to ask a question. So you're saying that the concept of childhood, of having a time to mature, to learn, to educate, to, to become educated, sort of um, evolved or came about with... Um, when the bourgeoisie came about and before that um, without there really being a bourgeoisie, was it just that children were born in poor families because did childhood exist with royalty, for instance, or with um, you know, was, was this done, you know, because I mean, children were educated before the 16th century. So I'm just trying to understand this became a more common thing among people who were not at the very sort of elite status. Right. Well, um, the way to look at it, I think, is that in the um, uh, when you raised a child, you were raising them to take your place. And so you would need to teach them what they needed to know to take your place. So if you're a monarch, you need to speak um, multiple languages you might need to be a warlord. If you're a blacksmith, like um, if you've read the wonderful Hilary Mantel um, Tudor series, which I really recommend, um, it's a really interesting uh, uh, vision of, of what childhood was like. So you had um, uh, Thomas Cromwell, who is born the son of a blacksmith. Um, his father's abusive. They don't get on. But another adult takes him under his wing. He eventually becomes a mercenary. Then someone else takes him under his wing. He becomes a merchant. And eventually, you know, he, he ends up as this advisor to Henry VIII. Um, and the interesting thing about that is that you can sort of see that as like a transition because, uh, because he didn't just replace his father um, or just replace somebody in his, you know, in his uh, village. Um, he he actually rises through society, um, and that's what education begins to be about. It's about rising through society, um, and it's also um, it's also importantly uh, like a, a protected time, a time when you're not throwing too much on the shoulders of kids because you know that they need that extra time, um, and uh, eventually that becomes formalized in schools. Um, and the period that children will be in schools um, extends until, you know, eventually you get, I'd say, I'd say that the high point of it was probably uh, in the Victorian family. Um, and, uh, and, but, but obviously survived uh, in, in new forms and new variations up until the 70s, when it all fell apart. Well, yes, and we'll get to that. But it's interesting that you talk about, so, um, you know, you sent me some thoughts on this and you talked about how it wasn't just about existing in the world. What you talk about, like replacing your parents, essentially doing what they're doing, but really learning about the world and becoming comfortable in the world and, and sort of making it their own. Um, And, and that, that brings with it innovation to improve the world. I mean, I think that that's kind of why people innovate and why they, 
want to make the world a better place. So that really sort of emerged with this concept of childhood, which is really fascinating. Um, and I want to talk a little bit, you had mentioned um, Hannah Arndt, and I know you are sort of a, you've read, you know, you, you're a devotee of Hannah Arndt. And, um, and you, you mentioned how she talks about this. Um, t- tell me a little bit about her perspective on this. Well, she's really interesting because the way that she sees uh, children, as she she sees them as newcomers to the world. It's almost like you're traveling to a foreign country and you don't know anything, um, and you need someone to show you how it all works um, and to kind of take you through the process of getting to know, you know, uh, you know what are the what what are the ways you behave, um, how do things work. Um, how should I relate to other people? Um, and so that is, so that's what childhood is, is about, is it's about, um, it's about coming to understand the world that you have inherited um, and that you will take forward at some point when you become an adult. And it's about, it's also about like learning to value that world, because if you don't value that world, you're not going to perpetuate um, you're not going to perpetuate your family. You're not going to perpetuate yourself, uh, and society will fall apart. Well, it's a perfect segue because I don't think childhood is viewed this way anymore. I mean, what we what you've laid out is what how I view childhood still, and how I think a lot of people view childhood. But increasingly now, I feel like kids, very very young kids, are being introduced to very adult concepts. And you talk, and it. I think we can get to today because I think you, what's interesting is you talk about how it fell apart in the seventies and I'd love to kind of explain or explore that, but then talk about what's going on today because I think we've had another sort of lurch into an sort of attacking childhood and the innocence of kids in favor of making them activists, um, uh, getting them, you know, there's a walkout every other day. They, you know, they're, they're marching on wash, whatever, you know, you, 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 under, you understand the power of children today. And, and there's sort of this imagery of, of Mao's red army, you know, demanding these changes, which make me very, very uncomfortable. And so I do want to talk about that, but talk to me a little bit about what happened in the seventies with this concept of childhood. Right. Well, and the family, um, and what happened to the right. family? Okay, well, the the, the family is really key for this um, because what what the the I guess the kind of backdrop to this is that um, uh, sorry to go back, but in the no, late nineteenth century, yeah. in the late nineteenth century, um, uh, you have this kind of crisis of um, of I suppose meaning um, that. Uh, takes all sorts of different forms. I mean, this is what Freud is getting at: is um, is when you don't know how to fit into society, uh, you uh, you have a sort of a personal breakdown. Um, but that you know that that sort of loss of 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 the bigger picture of the world and how you fit into it is something that I mean, you can see it in Nietzsche. You can see it, um, you know, all through the late nineteenth century. Um, and uh, you can even see it in the first and second world wars, actually, if you want to, you know, take it that far. Um, but but the thing that kind of holds things together, um, to particularly in the United States, is that you still have families. And the important thing about the fa- the family as an institution um, is that um, on the one hand, it's really flexible. You know, it's very adaptive. It's very adaptable. You know, you can have divorces, but you can also kind of recover yourself because you have this institution that is bigger than the sum of its parts um, and that was organized really around raising kids. Um, and it's a wonderful way to raise kids because what it does is it creates this environment for them to naturally mature within um, uh, where they have to balance, where they learn to balance what they want with um with what their parents who are an authority say they must do with their, um, with their siblings um, and, and sibling rivalry, sibling um, cherishing one another. I mean, there are all of these wonderful dynamics 
that are kind of held within the family. And they're held within the family because you know the family is not going away. At the time, before the 1970s, it was a permanent institution. And so, you know, you could, you could hate your, you know, you could hate your brother, you could hate your sister, um, but they were always going to be there. And, and, and that held a space for reconciliation. It held a space for balance. Um, and, uh, and, and, and you could even have favorites, you know, like now you would never dream of having, you know, the favorite child. But you could have favorites and nobody was threatened by it because it was this permanent institution. And what happens in the 1970s um, is that uh, a couple of things. Um, I think this kind of crisis of meaning actually begins to erode private life. Um, but then you have um, a catalyst in the um, change in the divorce laws. So it becomes very easy to divorce. Um, and you have this real shift um, so that instead of um, thinking about the needs of children, we're thinking about the needs of adults, you know, for adult self-actualization, for, you know, them to go off and be, you know, be with the one they really love and right. start over. And, right. and kids are really just disenfranchised through that. Um, and that is important because that sets the scene um, for what happens later on. Um, so, uh, so, so, so what happens is that the family's no longer permanent. Um, and there's this period um, where on the one hand, um, uh, there's, there's not a lot of focus more broadly on the needs of children. Um, and we start to, you know, we, you know the, the rating system comes in, you know, TV becomes more mature. We're not thinking that children could always be there. Um, so we, so we have that happening on the, on the one hand, but on the other hand, we still have people struggling to raise their kids and it's a real crisis point because it feels like you cannot look back to the past, um, to know what to do because things are so different. Um, the, the other thing that I really found interesting, uh, and also we talked about this earlier and I know you talked about this in your book, but also this idea of that you didn't live with and around your family um, that in the seventies, this became more prevalent that people moved away from their families. And so instead of having, and you and I talked about this because I think we both have, were, were raised in, in the seventies and families that had moved away. And I hardly saw my extended family. So it was very natural for me, but this was an unusual ph phenomenon. You usually stay in your same town and, lived your whole life around your family. And Nancy, I was sort of rereading things that you, that we had talked about in the last podcast. It was so fascinating because you think about today, and I think you had mentioned, well, you know, you might have to hang out with your annoying brother and your great uncle, who's always making those off color jokes. And, you know, your aunt Sue, who you don't really, whatever you get it. The point is, but you still had to deal with these people. And so you actually got this lesson in dealing with people you don't agree with. Today, people choose their families, essentially, because you talk about that, too. You choose your family. And so you never have to, you know, you, you choose to be around people that you like and never disagree with. And, you know, maybe that's a little bit of why our country is so dysfunctional now, because we're choosing to sort of never hang out with people that we disagree with. So that muscle has atrophied. We're not we don't even know how to disagree with people, but still like go to a picnic and have to hang out with them. Um, so it's kind of interesting how, as the family has crumbled, so is our society and our ability for civil discourse. I don't know if you think that that's sort of connected. I do. And I think what's so amazing about the family, you know, when you have a family that is permanent is that you, it's understanding that you get a really deep um, a rich understanding uh, that it's not just about you and your choices. You know, there is a given world, there are given circumstances um, that you need to find a way to deal with. Um, and, you know, and you, and you need to do things like you need to learn to manage your emotions. Um, you need to learn to, um, uh, to focus on the things that you love about Uncle Bert. Um, and, 
and forgive, but maybe not forget the things that you don't like about Uncle Bert. Um, and so, and it does that completely organically. Um, and I think that is what is so sort of reviled about the family now is that it is a natural um, institution. Um, uh, I mean, it's 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 amazing how we seem to think that you you have to everything now must be chosen. It must be a conscious decision. But if you put if you have a room full of children and you have an adult come in those kids are going to uh, defer to the adult because the adult has, the adult has natural authority. Um, and we're very suspicious of authority now. And we're particularly suspicious of the family. So you have, you know, all of these people talking about the, uh, you know, the oppressiveness of the cis heteronormative family. But what that is, is that's just, it's, it's just a natural form of authority um, that we have evolved really to recognize, um, and I think you know that's that's why um, some people find it so threatening. Um, anyway, yes, yeah, so you have to stop me because I'll just keep no. Our, <laughs> I I I had a twenty minute intro there, so I get it because this is such an issue that I'm also sort of personally grappling with and trying to understand myself. But do you think that that's why we see? what many people see as attacks on the family. Um, this idea that schools now feel that it's okay to keep secrets from parents about significant matters. Uh, for instance, on the transgender issue, a child goes into the office and says, I would now like to be called Michael instead of Michelle. And that school will change the records and the files and we'll, 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 we'll go along with whatever and not notify the parents the child could then say, like, I am now, I would like my records to show that. And, and to be honest with you, I don't know the technicalities of this. I don't know if they actually go in and change the records. But at least they will call that child by the, what they want to go by and recognize that child as a boy if it's a biological girl and allow that biological girl to go into the men's room or vice versa. Um, and again, never inform the parents about a significant emotional and mental health issue. Um, tell me where these two intersect. I mean, I think that this is, this is being done to help sort of accelerate the destruction of the family. And I know that's like, you know, that commentary, that comment right there would be like, you're a right wing nut who's just spouting off about things. I, but I do think that there's, I, I think some, there are figures in this country that again, don't like it as a challenge to author government authority or, you know, teacher authority or whatever it is. I mean, if you could kind of, do you agree with that or that comment? I do. I, I mean, I, the way I, the way I see it, in fact, I, I even, I wanted to coin a word and everyone said, don't. <laughs> don't coin that word. Nancy. <laughs> but if I was going to coin the, coin this word um, uh, for me, uh, what's going on now is very similar to misogyny, um, but it's against parents, which I believe, you know, the, your Greek listeners will go nuts, um, would be misogynesis. Listen so to you. It, it's like, it's like this, this, um, this kind of like um, uh, uh, assumed prejudice against parents that they're always wrong. They can do no right. Um, and it's just a prejudice because I mean, you know, if you if you really if you look at the sort of um, issues involved in things like um, gender questioning, um, it's ironic because a, a lot of it seems to be about um, uh, young people trying to separate from their parents. Um, and I mean, one thing I didn't mention is that when the family collapsed. Um, uh, the thing that kind of took its place was parenting, which is this very intense relationship, one-to-one uh, -one relationship between each child and each parent. Um, and uh, in that sort of relationship, it's very, it can become very intense and overbearing. And so in some of these cases, it seems like this is the only way that, or it, this is the kind of the, the social way now that young people separate from their from their parents unfortunately it's been medicalized so there are lifelong consequences to that which you know is just just terrible but but the 
but the thing is, is that whatever issues we have, um, those are issues that developed within the context of the family. And that is where they will be resolved most of the time. Um, and it's really, uh, it's really destructive to kids to um, separate them from their families because, because no matter how, no matter how difficult a relationship within a family is, it's a, it is something that will be with you for the rest of your life. Yes. But the thing is, is that that is the answer though, to, to you've, you've heard these, um, I don't know what the, what the, they use a phrase for, it's like ghosting your family. You, you know, um, going, no contact, going, no contact. Um, and we've seen some, some estrangement. Yeah. Yes. And, and it's, it's, you, you, you will not speak to them. That's sort of the answer these days. I, it's really sad because it's sort of, um, and you, and you see in some, some of these activists, there've actually been messages put out there. Come, come talk to our community. We will be your parents. We will be your family. I hear these phrases. We will be your family, you know, or this is, and in pop culture, in popular media, I see this stuff all the time. This is my chosen family. Right. And, and I think culturally that's, that's really taken over in terms of your family's just who you were born to. You don't have to hang out with them. It's, it's more than just, you know, my parents moved away, but we still had contact, but we didn't see them a lot. I mean, it is radically different than that. It's actually break away from your biological family and create a new family, which to me is so much worse. Um, it's so much more damaging. And again, I think it contributes to our inability to sort of deal with people who think differently than us. I mean, not us, but you get, you know, society in general. Yeah, I, I mean, I really, I really agree with that. And and it's interesting because I've watched this develop over the last 10 years or so. And it started out with, um, it started out with just ordinary relationships and um, and it's like you know I'm not getting along with um, with my partner or um, you know I'm having difficulties and the answer was always cut those toxic people out of your life um, and uh, and and it's and it's 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 a real problem because um, there's this sense there's a sense that relationships should only exist if they make you feel good about yourself. Um, and it, you know, and, and, and so it's like redefining the purpose of families away from this generational renewal and this kind of institution for redemption in a sense. And it's a making it about me, 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 and my needs and, and, you know, and, and just think about what that means for kids. Well, I wanted to ask, what does this mean? I mean, what, like what, so we've got this kind of cultural situation where we're introducing, intensely adult subjects to kids at a very young age. I mean, kindergartners are being read some pretty provocative books. We're seeing middle school libraries with, and high school libraries with pornography in them. They're, they're being told that things like sex don't matter, that gender, you can choose whatever gender you are. This is all, these are all very confusing um, concepts and they're being encouraged to break from their parents if their parents don't agree with them off the bat. And I'm sort of talking about gender here, but this this relates to other things too. It's not just gender. Um, it, you know, you have adults out there that are encouraging kids to break away from their parents if they disagree with them on anything. So that is a loss of one kind of authority, the parental authority, and then their kids are being told to sort of replace it with a teacher or some sort of official, what does, what is this doing to kids and what is this doing to the concept of childhood? Well, um, to, to understand that, I think, um, it's important to understand that, um, or to think of this as, as a sort of a, a, a cutting off of the past, a sort of jettisoning of, uh, of earlier, um, generations um, who had norms and who had values and things that developed over a long period of time to help us to function in the world. Um, and really since the 70s, we've had a very, uh, 
our, our culture has been very much in the now. Um, and the only reason why we make reference to history or to what came before is if it serves the purposes of the now. Um, and <clears throat> so, so what that means is that it has this weird effect on society where on the one hand, you have adults who never grow up um, because they're never forced to think about the future. You know, they're just living in the now. So you have a bunch of you know, sort of 50 year old adolescents running around. But on the more destructive side, it pulls young children into the present and it treats them like adults. And so a lot of these people who, um, who go on about how, um, how they, and I think they really believe it. They want, to, they want um, kids to understand consent. They want them to have this wonderful sex life. They want them to be, you know, as, as adults, they want them to, you know, be their authentic selves. But they have been so uh, alienated from what childhood really is that they don't understand that it is absolutely impossible for kids to grasp that, um, to make sense of it, to, you know, to, to understand the future implications of that. I mean, they just have no clue about what children are like. Um, and, it's, and it's so destructive because, you know, you open that door and I mean, I really do think, I think uh, knowledge of sex is this kind of turning point for kids because it's such a strong thing in adult life and it just pulls them into adult life way before they, you know, can right. handle it. Um, well, and it pulls them, I mean, look, the way that we're pulling them into learning about sex and relationships isn't like, this is kind of what happens, right? It is you have to choose what, what gender you are now. You can be anything you want. I mean, that is, that in and of itself is, it, it I, kids are susceptible to suggestion. They are. And, and this Absolutely. idea, but, but, but it frustrates me so much because people say, well, if a child isn't, you know, doesn't identify as another, you know, uh, another gender, then there's no problem. Or if the child isn't, you know, gay or lesbian or whatever, then there's no problem, right? And it's like, you can actually, it's, it's not necessarily introducing, it's this, this whole new sort of category of queer, which is questioning, and I'm attracted to all sorts of things, and I'm attracted to, you know, or I'm asexual, and I'm not really attracted to any sex. You know, the, the idea that the... <laughs> the idea it's, my son. <laughs> it's okay it's okay the idea that children are not susceptible and then it could create confusion in a child um is is just monstrous because again these these concepts are very complicated for a full-grown adult and to um to introduce them at such an, a young age but again i think that the tension that we're seeing between parents and some of these school administrators, for example, or government officials. I mean, you've got, you know, uh, one undersecretary at HHS, Rachel Levine, who is, who she is a government, a very powerful government official who is trans herself and is saying that we should introduce these concepts to kids. So it's not just teachers. I mean, we're talking about very powerful government, government officials who are introducing these concepts. And I think for me and for others, um, other parents out there were like, when did, when did this become okay? Um, and they're not only just suggesting it, they're actually fighting parents um, who, who object to it. So I, and, and again, it all comes at the cost of, of children and families and this concept of childhood. Um, Nancy, I wanted to ask you, you are kind of interested in examining this, your a little further and you've got a new project. I don't know if this is a new book, um, but you're working on a new project uh, sort of around this idea. Tell us a little bit about it. Right. Well, um, uh, when I was writing my book about parenting, <clears throat> when I understood um, what a crucial role the family played, um, I wanted to understand that better. Um, and just a bit of background. One of the reasons why I was interested in parenting is that um, I've always been interested in families. Uh, my father was in the military. We lived lots of different places. And I used to love 
to visit other families because it was like this new world, you know, everything, you know, it's, they, they did things differently. They had different words for things. Things smelled a little bit differently. Um, and so I've always, I've always found that really, that really fascinating. Um, but when I started to understand a bit better the important role that the family played, um, I, I really wanted to understand what had happened over time with it and where it was going. And what I realized, and this is, this is kind of where Hannah Arendt comes into it again, um, is that I was, I was having an argument on Twitter um, and someone said to me, well, you just want to go back to the 1950s. And I said, well, no, but I was thinking about why is it when, why is it when people, <laughs> why, why is it, it's always, you know, why, why not go back to the seventies or the eighties or, and, and I think the reason why is that the fifties was the last time when the traditions that the family was based on were intact. And those traditions are gone now. Um, I mean, they, there was a break. They are gone. People it's don't interesting. understand them. It's interesting too, when you say the fifties, um, I also think of pop culture. I always think of like pop, pop culture and what was it like? And you think about those television shows, which reflected that, that sort of, you know, nuclear family, mom, dad, kids, you know, and, um, and that sort of unit and how important that was. And, and again, those that they would even have, I mean, they do have, I feel like every, every series now that has to do with the family is so sarcastic and has to sort of mm -hmm. make fun of the family and at least make fun of the dad always, you know, he's always so stupid and the mom is always so bright. But, um, but just the idea of, 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 a, of a television show that not didn't make fun of the family, you know, but showed the, the challenges and the laughs and the good things about having a family and sort of these charming little, little vignettes, you know, um, so I, yeah, so it, it's sort of the culture also has never, uh, or pop culture certainly is not the same either. The message people get from television today is that's square and, you know, it's not yeah, the full it's, way. It's really true. Um, and you, then you have these sort of, you have, I mean, it's interesting you take something like Friends. And I mean, what that is, is it's basically a family, but it's not a family. Yeah. Um, and, um, uh, uh, and that, which is, you know, which is where we could have a whole podcast on that, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but, but anyway, so, so, um, uh, because we, because we can't go back to that and I actually don't think we understand it, um, and why it worked, which is, you know, part of what I want, what I want to do is, is, are these calls to defend the family? don't really grab people um, in the way that you would think they do. Because I mean, you know, I mean, we grew up in the seventies. I mean, how many people are there around who even, you know, have even experienced the idea of the family as being something permanent. I mean, it just does not, it's just beyond people's experience now. And what Hannah Arendt did was she was, she, she talked about this more broadly as a problem of Western society she says, you know, you have um, you have a break with tradition, and then you have terrible things happen, like totalitarianism, and and you know, and and, and all of these different um, effects that that has. Um, and so, what she said is that what we need to do is we need to rediscover um, uh, that tradition and build a new one. And so she likens it to to um, diving for buried treasure. And so there's this thing which is lost. You go back, you bring up these objects. Sometimes you don't know what they did. You know, they, you don't know how they worked. Sometimes you can find a use for them. Sometimes you can't. Um, but through that, you build something new. You build something new that is right for you and for, you know, for, for uh, your society going forward. And so what I would like to do is I would like to um, I would like to dive into the to the tradition of the family because I think the family is is kind of it's kind of the 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 first institution it's the institution where um, we in whatever way we pass on um, 
a sense of who we are and how we are in the world and what the world is like to a next generation so that they can carry on. Um, and so rather than defending the family, I want to make the case for the family. And part of that, and probably the most urgent part of that is making the case for childhood and understanding that in a sense, childhood is also like that very treasure. Um, because because I was, I, was, I was thinking about this uh, and I realized that there's not a day that goes by when I don't go back into the magic sack that is my childhood and take out something and use that as the benchmark or, you know, compare it. I mean, this, it's like this kind of treasure that you have that allows you to, um, to uh, adapt. And cope. And the, yes. And the really, and we have a mental health crisis today, I believe, because we have micromanaged childhood so um, intensely that uh, kids don't, fill up that sack. They don't have the experiences that they can draw on, or they don't have as much that they can draw on. Um, and, uh, and, I, and, and if you can't, if you haven't had both positive and negative experiences, if you haven't been allowed to learn lessons for yourself in the sandbox, I mean, you know, there's a reason why software developments talk about doing things in the sandbox is that you can play and there aren't big consequences for that. But we have we've got to the point where it's weirdly we treat everything in childhood as if it has these massive consequences. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you see the parents kind of micromanaging in the sandbox. But really, you know, kids need to go through those experiences within a larger, safer environment um, when the stakes are not very high in order to get to learn to manage their emotions, to learn to get a sense of self-possession and to, you know, create the basis for a healthy adulthood, you know, to have well, and, those resources to draw on. Well, and, and what's so, I think, dangerous is we're now asking, we've got this just incredible contagion of, of especially young girls deciding on what gender they want to be or deciding to switch their gender before they've really matured fully and they don't have a full bag um, from which to draw lessons or, um, you know, coping mechanisms or what have you. You know, I love that imagery of a bag that you can kind of go into and pull out, you know, memories of, you know, how you handled these different situations, how your parents handled these different situations. But childhood gives you that bag uh, that of tools, essentially. Um, and I, I feel like we aren't allowing children to develop those, that set of tools nowadays, before we're presenting them with incredibly adult decisions um, that can change their lives. So, um, you know, that coupled with learning loss, that coupled with the mental health crisis, you know, it worries me a lot for children today. I think it does. Well, it does. And it's, you know, it's insidious because, you know, on the one hand, I mean, just take, just take gender. Um, you know, when we, you know, <laughs> when we arrive in the world, uh, the first thing that happens is that we are claimed uh, as one sex or another recognized. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, when it, and that's something that we just do as human beings. We treat, when we know that a child is male or female, we treat them differently and we're not even aware we're doing it, which is a real problem for people trying to do research on gender. <laughs> you know, any clue <laughs> and, you, and the researchers will, will notice different things and those things will track with, you know, like what, what we believe about, you know, men and women, boys and girls. Um, but for kids, it's really important to have that and to have that confirmed because the one thing that a little kid knows from about the age of four is I am a girl or I am a boy. Mm -hmm. And that is where, you know, like the Disney princesses come from the trucks, the sort of, you know, picking the most sort of like over the top right. um, stereotype of, of sex and, and loving that or, 
you know, even if you're a gender non-conforming kid, uh, and the vast majority of those kids grow up to be gay, even so, they draw on that binary. Yes. And when you get rid of that binary, it really destabilizes people's personalities. It's just like, it's like pulling the rug out. And suddenly, you know, you're a a five-year-old kid and you can be anything. But I mean, again, how horrible is that? How horrible. And and again, but the, it's interesting. I just, I can't get over the, I, I think about that bag you're talking about. We have, we're, we've taken away their bag. I mean, it, for, for when they're an adult, because in ruining their childhood, introducing well, these incredibly adult concepts to them, we haven't allowed them to develop to develop naturally into adults who are, is able to look back on these things and kind of figure figure things out. It's it's it really is a, a tragedy that I think we're gonna we're gonna be paying for for generations. Well, I mean, the worst thing about it is I think we've deprived them of hope because you know. Um, I think there's there's something really important about wonder. Um, and with little kids, everything is a wonder. Um, and instead of allowing that, allowing kids to understand things and figure things out in their own terms, we're so we're so eager to correct them and to prepare them to be adults. Um, and so, you know, instead of sex being this thing that you sort of know is out there, but it's this mystery instead of allowing that to be a mystery. It's like, well, this is what happens. And, you know, and, and, and just uh, specifying that it's also like, I mean, another example of Santa Claus. I mean, you get these people who are like, well, you're lying to children (laughs) and, and yeah, it's, it's a vast adult conspiracy that we do, that we do so that, you know, for, for a time in our children's lives, lives, they understand, they have this childhood belief, they have this right. innocent belief right. that, you know, that, 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 that they fly, right? I mean, they do. And it's wonderful. And, 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 you know, and they, and they, it will eventually come to understand that. Uh, the truth about Santa themselves. And then, you know, and then maybe we tell them at some point, just well, confirm what they're also, telling us. There's a reason parents do it. It's like, I can't even tell. I actually found an app on my phone that you could talk to Santa. And I <laughs> used it. I mean, it'd be the, it'd be the heat of July. And I'd be sitting there, I'm getting Santa on the phone. I mean, there is this concept of like, if you're a good boy or girl all year, Santa will bring you something. He will recognize your goodness, right? And you're not on the naughty list. I mean, it's not just like, oh, we like. <laughs> yeah, I have the naughty list app. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're on the naughty list. Yes, I yes. See? <laughs> I tell you, they, parenting is so easy these days. But I'm telling you, <laughs> this is the kind of thing that there was a greater meaning there beyond just like, let's have fun and mess with the kids and tell them that reindeer and there's like elves. Like it was, it, there was a lesson behind it. And Again, you're right that giving them this idea, you know, to think about, oh my gosh, you know, Santa, and they go to sleep and they wait for the hooves, you know, to be on their roof. I mean, it's wonderful. And there's nothing wrong with doing that is, it's part of childhood. Yeah, it is. And it's, and it's, and it's, you know, it's, it's like, I mean, childhood is a gift we give to the younger generation. Um, And we have really taken that gift away. Um. And, you know, and it's been well-meaning, um, we, you know, we, we, as adults, um, we know the realities of the world. And in a way, it's a sort of a, a lack of confidence in ourselves. So that instead of having confidence in our ability to protect our children, we feel like, wow, it's all on the internet. Let's just, let's just prepare them. That's all we yeah. can do. Yeah. Um, and in preparing them, we actually rob them um, of, of that time of, of uh, 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 without pressure, when they can mature at their own rate, um, and when they don't have to be thinking about these very adult things that they frankly, you know, can't comprehend or, or, you know, can't engage in without, without seriously harming themselves. Listen, Nancy, this is probably a good place to wrap up. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to once again, plug your book and tell people where they can find you on social media. Right. Um, well, uh, my book is The Problem with Parenting, which is published by uh, 
Prager Press. It's available on Amazon. Um, and you can find me at on Twitter um, and at NMCDNY um, at twitter.com. Now, now <laughs> everyone, everyone should know that, Nancy, I didn't read your full bio, which will be on our podcast excuse me, the podcast landing page. But Nancy used to be one of the administrators of the Park Slope Moms Group. Was it parents group or moms group? It's parents, Park Slope parents. Yeah, yeah which is, um, I mean, if you're not familiar with it, like, you know, that's quite we a We were job. like, yeah, I mean, you know, it was a, it was a, it was one of the, the largest in the country and, um, you know, and in, and in your New York, New York City and, you know, everyone's a journalist, everyone's, you know, writing, you know, is winning Oscars and right, this is right. very sort of A, you know, yeah. type A parents. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which is where, so, what I, but that's where you're in the New York on your Twitter handle. Yes, yes, um, yes. And yeah. so um, that's, that's the NYC. I'm not in NYC anymore. I'm not in the country now. But Well, well, um, I look, I look forward to your coming book on childhood the destruction of childhood the importance of childhood the reason we well if anybody wants to publish it (laughs) (laughs) i will read it yeah well and and when that does happen you can come back on and talk about it nancy thank you so much for coming on today this is a a great topic i know i know we didn't scratch the surface but um but i appreciate you coming on well and i appreciate you having having me thank you (laughs) thanks Nancy. bye The Bespoke Parenting Podcast with Julie Gunlock is a production of the Independent Women's Forum. You can send a comment and question to julie.gunlock at iwf.org. Please help me um, and IWF uh, by hitting the subscribe button and leaving a comment or review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, Google Play, YouTube, or iwf.org. Hang in there, parents, and go bespoke.